Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Warning Track Power Podcast with your baseball guys, Jake and Chris. We are ready to talk about all things uh, that happened in Major League Baseball over the past week, and uh, it's a lot to talk about. So we're going to get right into it, Chris, and uh, it, it, it's, it's not been a good time for uh, the Major League Baseball team in Arizona. No, it really hasn't. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of positive things on the show today, but we're not starting with one because one of the most no. notable things of the week is just how bad the Arizona Diamondbacks are at this point. Uh, they, uh, back a couple days ago on Thursday, lost an MLB modern record 23rd consecutive road game. No uh, team in the modern era uh, has has lost had lost 23 straight games as the road team that broke a tie with the 1963 Mets and the 1943 Philadelphia A's and it's been over um, almost two months I should say now since the Diamondbacks have won a game on the road that was back on April 25th when Madison Bumgarner twirled seven a seven inning no hitter you know with the asterisk next to it you know was it a no hitter or not uh, against the Braves at Truist Park that was the last time they won a game on the road and that that's sort of remarkable enough on its own but it, it goes beyond just how bad they've been on the road too it's just how it's not like they've been you know tearing it up at home to sort mm-hmm. of counterbalance it to any degree because they've lost 17 straight games period as in right. home road anything 17 straight games at the time of this recording uh monday evening before their game is over tonight they're 20 and 53 and that's tied for the fourth worst record through 73 games in the divisional era so we're talking up there with in terms of the first 73 which yeah it's a random number but the first 73 games of the season to this point only a few teams have ever been had a worse record than this and what's remarkable about, what remarkable about this in particular is that this was a team that was 15 and 13 at one point. They had a winning record in April. Like this wasn't a team that was just this horrendous from the start. At the end of the first month of the season, they were two games above 500 or, or some, something to that effect. Sure. Um, and yet here we look with them at 20 and 53 and you know, they look like the worst team in baseball. You know, usually that's something I don't take lightly because, you know, there's a lot of, there's a couple teams vying for that spot, whether that be the Baltimore Orioles or the Texas Rangers, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, but it really looks like it's the Diamondbacks with their 274 winning percentage, which is quite remarkable. Oh yeah. And uh, they, if uh, 23 road games and 17 in a row wasn't, wasn't bad enough to you know, kind of encap- encapsulate this whole uh, losing streak. They have lost 40 of their past 45 games. Oh, my goodness. And they've won one game in the month of June. That was on June 1st. And uh, I think they've won six games overall since the month of May started. So, um, obviously, they've dealt with their fair share of injuries, especially to their pitching staff, um, Baumgartner, Gallen. Luke Weaver have all missed time. Um, but it's, I mean, it's almost like they can't figure out a way to win no matter what. I mean, even if your top pitchers go down or your top players go down, you, f- you would figure, you know, they figure out a way to 
throw together 10, 12, you know, a handful of wins at least, but five wins in their past 45 games and you, it, it's just in, incredible, but in kind of in the worst way. Oh, absolutely. It feels like you have to try to be that bad. It really yes. does. Like that's the level of bad, but it's just wild because they, their lineup, their pitching, like you said, has, has had a number of injuries, but their lineup isn't horrible. It's not good by any no. stretch of the imagination, but there are some good players in it. Cattell Marte uh, is, I believe, a former all-star, if not a very good player. He's hitting like 340 on the season. Uh, you know, they've got um, some guys in there with some name, you know, some name recognition as Drupal Cabrera and Josh Reddick. And, you know, it, it's not a good lineup by any stretch. I'm not trying to excuse it as saying like, this is somehow a go Eduardo Escobar um, has, you know, shown some power this year. Again, not a, you know, not a, not a superstar, but it's not a lineup that, you know, you tell me those stats that you just mentioned, Jake, I wouldn't expect to see a lineup that, you know, I would expect to see a lineup worse than what I'm looking at. I mean, Carson Kelly is hurt now too, but you know, David Peralta, like they have dudes who aren't horrendous at every, it's not like you look out there and say, Oh, wow, that's a bunch of nobodies. There are some decent players in there and even some guys having some decent seasons. So you throw that in the mix and it's just even more unfathomable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, the pitching staff is really, I think where, where you have your, your problem, you know, you got, guys you know like we talked about with with the injuries and then you have a, a starting rotation with uh one guy with an ARA under three and mm. that's Taylor Widener at uh at 263 he's on the 10-day IL currently they have one more guy with an ERA under four and that's Zach Gallen sitting at 3.99 so he's right there and then Luke Weaver Madison Bumgarner and Merrill Kelly their top three starters are all well over four, if not over five. Um, Bumgarner and Weaver uh, on the IL, obviously, as well. And then you look at the bullpen, and it's just not good. I mean, <laughs> all these guys have FIPS over five, pretty much, um, at least over four. Their whips are not great at all. Um, so they can – I don't – I'm not sure – Offense is necessarily the problem. It's certainly not helping because a lot of these guys, like you said, have proven that they can play at a higher level than, you know, a five win over 40 game, 45 game pace. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's gotta be the whole team effort. Um, and it's just not, it's not happening for them. One thing I do want to mention um, that kind of just broke today is Eduardo Escobar has been linked to uh, trade deals um with the with the white Sox, um in order to fill that gap that nick madrigal's injury has uh kind of left and escobar former uh, member of the chicago white Sox, uh very early on in his career was his first major league team um and he was okay didn't really get a lot of playing time um then spent a lot of his career the bulk of his career in the middle with the twins uh and has since joined the diamondbacks but uh it would be good to have him back a guy with a, a little more power and especially with the offensive struggles that the White Sox are going with uh, definitely a, a name to keep an eye on and a name that could uh, come in and make an immediate impact. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, not a guy who would fill Nick Madrigal's skill set in terms of no. being a high at batting average, high mm-hmm. OBP guy, but a guy who would come as a, you know, prominent, not a three or four hitter, but a, you know, a decent power bat, you know, he's, couple of years removed from hitting 35 home runs. He's already has 15 this year. So 
you know, he looks like a pretty legitimate 30 homer bat and uh, at least so uh, certainly would be a fun addition to the White Sox. No doubt. I was just looking up here while you were talking. It's you, like you said, it's that pitching for the Diamondbacks, a 5.37 team ERA is dead last in the majors. Yeah. You're not going to win a lot of games with a, uh, with a staff ERA that high. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. And, uh, on the flip side of really bad pitching is really good pitching. And that's who we've got uh, one of the best to talk about next, right, Jake? Yep, absolutely. Uh, it seems like we talk about him every week, but at this point, how could you not? Um, yeah. Jacob DeGrom, we're going to talk about him again. Um, best pitcher in baseball this year by far. Um, 2021, I saw a tweet from MLB Network uh, late last week, and it had the uh, the stats for the through the first ten starts of the last two pitchers who have won uh, the most valuable player award, and that was Justin Verlander in 2011 and Clayton Kershaw in 2014. Um, Degrom has um, as many wins. Kershaw through ten starts was seven and two. Degrom is six and two. Verlander was four and three. He's got a obviously a microscopic 0.56 ERA, which is miles better than both of uh both Verlander and Kershaw which is saying something because both of their ERAs at this point were under three and he's got uh 17 more strikeouts than Clayton Kershaw's 86 and 28 more strikeouts or that's wrong math uh 32 more strikeouts than Justin Verlander's 71 at this point so wow it's really hard to imagine a world especially where DeGrom keeps up this pace where he doesn't win uh, the most valuable player award, because I think he, at this point, you know, between him and Acuna and Tatis, I think he is probably the favorite. And, uh, you know, it, it just start after start, he just keeps performing at such a high level. And it's, 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 it's a historic level as well. So um, we talk about it every week, watch Jacob DeGrom pitch. Yeah, it's it's must watch TV, no doubt about it. It continues to be, and, and we're sort of like I probably said it's probably been a few weeks ago since I said I'm running out of words to describe Jacob Degrom, and he keeps mm-hmm. doing it. And apparently, I need to find more words, and I just I don't <laughs> I don't know where to look uh, because we're looking at something that uh, one of the most dominant seasons for a pitcher of all time. I mean, yeah. you know, we've talked about we mentioned it before. He, you know, he's on track right now to break Bob Gibson's single season ERA record. And, you know, obviously he's going to need to continue to be fantastic the rest of the way for that to be a reality, but there's just no sign of slowing down at all. Uh, I just saw uh, ESPN stats and info tweet from just a short while ago. He's now gone 12 straight starts with either one or zero earned runs allowed. Like he just doesn't have bad starts. He doesn't even have okay starts. He doesn't even <laughs> right. have good starts. All of his starts are above good. They're all great. Yeah. Uh, and that 12 straight starts with zero or one and run allowed broke a tie with Bob Gibson in 1968 for the yeah. longest such streak within a single season. Um, it's been more than 30 innings since he's allowed an earned run. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 12 starts in, his ERA is at 0. 0.5. It's just... I don't even know what else you say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at his, his game logs here and I mean, the last time he allowed an earned run was May 25th. Um, he hasn't allowed an earned run in the month of June as a result. Um, and 
I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. He's his ERA is 0.54. So before this previous start uh, on June 16th against the Cubs, he was exactly half of uh, Bob Gibson's 1.12 ERA uh, in 1968. And now he's less than half that number at 0.54. And I mean, like we keep saying there, we're, we're, we're running out of words. I mean, dominant doesn't even begin to describe his, his, his stuff and just his, Every, every single day, if you're facing Jacob DeGrom, you're like, we just got to get him out of the game. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we just got to get him out of the game, which luckily for the teams, at least recently that he's been playing, he's been dealing with injuries. They're not letting him go as long as he could necessarily. So he's getting out of the game, maybe in the sixth or seventh inning when he legitimately could go all nine. Um, so for teams that are facing uh, DeGrom, they're catching a little bit of a break there, but I mean, he hasn't gotten run support historically and he's just saying, you know what? I don't need it. I don't need it. I'm just going to shut everybody down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just today, you know, he was out there uh, pitching against uh, the Braves uh, mm -hmm. and uh, well, do I have the right date? Yeah. Pitching against the Braves, you know, he's out there today and yeah, right now, he right now. Yeah. Right now. Okay. There we go. Yep. There's the game. And he, struck out two in a perfect first inning throwing a hundred yeah. miles an hour. And then he ends up after getting out of the first inning, he got um, circled around by umpires as they did one of those new inspections. They inspected his hat, his glove, his belt, all these things. Oh, yeah. um, and fans apparently booed during the, you know, the check, like, why are we slowing now? But then they cheered, he was cleared, nothing wrong. And apparently uh, from what I saw, he, he, has, he said he has no problem with it. So, yeah. you know, He's not, uh, I mean, I'm not saying he's never used anything or you can draw any huge conclusions from this, but, you know, right. he's, he's out there doing this in, you know, in an era where we, you know, continue to talk about, not an era, but in a year where we've continued to talk about the substances that pitchers have been using and spin mm -hmm. rates going down and all these things. And DeGrom, you know, all this, these changes midseason, he's just going out there doing the same thing. No changes for him. Right. No, absolutely. And, uh, just for clarification, the Mets played a doubleheader today. So he pitched ah, right, uh, right. earlier today, but they're also playing right now. So he pitched five, uh, five innings, one hit ball, six strikeouts, no big deal, right? This Jacob DeGrom's yeah. ERA is now 0.5. So yeah. Um, yeah, we'll keep talking about him as long as he continues just being absolutely a ridiculous baseball player and a ridiculous pitcher. So um, moving on from that, a, another pitcher, another very good pitcher, um, and he has, uh, he had some thoughts about MLB's foreign substance uh, policy that they have implemented now. Uh, Chris, what, what do you know about that? What do you know about Tyler Glass now? Yeah, so I kind of, we kind of, I kind of just hinted about it here a minute ago in terms of uh, MLB's crackdown on foreign substances and Tyler Glass now, now on the, I believe, 60 day injured list, hoping he can make it back at some point this season for the Rays. Um, he could go the rehab route instead of having Tommy John surgery as he's dealing with a partially torn UCL and a flexor tendon strain in his elbow. Um, and he has since uh, sounded off about this. This happened relatively recently, his injury. Of course, he'd been really emerging as a next level ace for the Rays and their success this season. Um, and, you know, with, with Blake Snell gone, he had really stepped up and they were letting him go deep in games. And he was looking like a top 
10 pitcher in the game. And obviously he can get, he can get back to that probably, but uh, he's now dealing with this elbow injury. And he basically kind of uh, a few days ago went off, uh, if you will, with the media, um, not to the media, but about what he perceived as he, the MLB's crackdown resulting in his elbow injury. He said that ahead of MLB's initiative, I'm reading an ESPN story here, um, that he, that Glass now said he did away with using sunscreen, which is the only foreign substance he said he ever used. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said that he, he stopped using it a couple starts ago. He felt sore the next day because he needed to adjust his grips on the ball. He said he couldn't grip the ball the same way. He was feeling sore. And then he was pitching against the White Sox and then felt something pop in his arm which that just sounds horrible in any context. Right. Um, You know, he did a video conference with reporters and it says he was very animated about it. And he described how he had to do things differently with his pitch grips because of not getting the same feeling that he normally had when he was able to use the sunscreen. Um, You know, he said he understands what MLB is trying to do with eliminating spider tack and sticky substances, but he said he had a big issue with doing it mid-season and eliminating everything all at once um you know and he you know he used some uh, let's say semi-colorful language very you know he's very (laughs) upset about this and which i can understand um you know and you know he said do it in the off season give us a chance to adjust it you know don't do this to us in the middle of the season and he says many of his fellow pitchers believe the same it's you know a continuation of the story that we've been talking about and I think that, you know, it's hard to know exactly, you know, th- this seems like pretty conclusive evidence. I, you know, it's all anecdotal. It's all from Glass now himself. Sure, yeah. So it's hard to go, no, you know, go definitively and say, well, this is MLB's fault. His particular injury is, his, is MLB's fault. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he makes a compelling case. And I think he makes a strong argument. And it's not like anything can be done to change it. They're not going to, you know, you can't, you can't untear his ACL. I mean, you know, I mean, right. his UCL, sure. um, but he makes a compelling case here. And I think it just sort of illustrates that maybe we do see some more pitching injuries moving forward um, because guys are having to adjust mid season, which is definitely one of my critiques about the way MLB is cracking down on this is that it's just happening mid season. Mm-hmm. And that these are pitchers who've had to who, uh, had an expectation of being able to use these substances daily or, you know, start by start for, for years and years and years. And then you pull it back on them like that. I'm kind of not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if this really does have a real degree of truth to it, that this could cause some injuries. Yeah. I I'm with you a hundred percent. Um, a couple of days ago, they, uh, uh, the Rays gave an update and they said Glasnow would be shut down for four weeks, uh, before mm-hmm. he would begin some kind of throwing program. Um, which I think is a lot better than a lot of people maybe expected, especially with the the partially torn UCL um, diagnosis. So uh, on that front, it's good news for for the Rays and their fans and Tyler Glass now himself. Um, I'm looking at his baseball reference page here, and one thing of note, and I don't know if this is contributing to you know his elbow uh, his elbow issues or anything, but he hasn't thrown over. Um, six 60 innings since 2018 and that was only 111 um and this season he's at 88 which is now the second highest mark in his career so 
he hasn't gotten close to 150, much less 200 innings, which is kind of, you know, the standard for a, a reliable, you know, uh, pitcher that he is kind of striving to be. Um, and we've, we've talked about that a lot with injuries in a shortened season last season, but he's kind of had a shortened season almost every year of his career, uh, just in terms of, in terms of innings pitched, it hasn't been uh, very high at all. So I don't know if that's contributing to, you know, his, his issues, but I certainly think that especially, you know, if he's been so, so used to using some kind of substance, whether it's spider tack or sunscreen, as he, as he, uh, as he said, um, you know, it's gotta be some kind of adjustment. And for some guys, I'm sure they're handling it better than others. And glass now is just one of them that, you know, he puts, he, he puts his arm through a lot more as a result of having to grip the ball differently. Um, so obviously, you know, we saw him go down uh, when we were recording last week uh, in the middle of that White Sox game against the Rays. And, uh, you know, it's good to hear that it's not it's not completely torn and he's not going to miss the rest of the year, hopefully at this point. Um, but it is it is interesting to uh, kind of hear that from his side because he's the first pitcher that's really um, been affected, you know, physically uh, in terms of injuries by it. And uh, just to hear it from from him straight is uh, definitely very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I hope that we, I'm curious to hear if we, curious to find out if we hear of more pitchers who blame potential injuries that they have here down the road on having to change their approach uh, as a result of of the MLB's new crackdown here. I hope we don't. That would be great if it's just sort of a, even if we don't, that wouldn't really mean, that's not to say that Glasnow's complaint isn't legitimate, but I hope that doesn't affect too many other pitchers in the same kind of way. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll just have to, that'll be something else that we continue to track here uh, moving forward in the rest of this season, really, because it's probably going to be, you know, a weeks long, you know, situation. It's not like it's uh, all results within a, a few days and we know one way or the other. I think it's going to be right. something we have to continue to track. Um, and it's a, it's a rough timing for the Rays because they've been on a little bit of a slide. Mm-hmm. Um, they... Uh, four and six, they've lost six straight now uh, and lost first place in the AL East, which mm-hmm. now goes to the Boston Red Sox by a half a game at this point uh, as of right now. And and so with them in a little bit of a slide, they decided to take this time, uh, which is our, our next point here, to call up uh, the number one pop prospect in baseball. Uh, that's, or at least, you know, if not the complete consensus, a, you know, a, what many people consider to be MLB's top prospect. And that's Wander Franco, who is just 20 years old. He was born in 2001, which just seems crazy. Uh, I think I saw somewhere (laughs) he's going to be like the first player born in 2001 to debut in the majors. Uh, No, it made me feel old is, you know, that by itself made me feel old, but, um, 2001 is the year that Albert Pujols debuted in the MLB. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> He's so, still out there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we both grew up watching him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in his prime with the Cardinals. And then after he got traded to, to the Angels. Um, but it just, yeah, I mean, that almost hit me harder than, you know, he's the yeah, Broncos, the first point. player born in 2001 to, to debut in, in MLB. But yeah, so. Anyway, yeah. sorry to cut you off, but no, is- no, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought of that. That's crazy. That is, that is crazy. And uh, well, I was going to say they might get to play each other, but it's the that would be the maybe the case if the if Pools was still on the Angels, but sure. Pools in the National League now. Uh, but yeah, Franco, he's a switch hitting infielder, a shortstop, 
who at AAA was in 49, uh, pardon me, 39 games at AAA, he was hitting 315. He was getting on base at almost 37% of the time. He'd already hit seven home runs, driven in 35 runs, and again, in 39 games. Uh, so an almost one-to-one pace there on RBI at, in games. And uh, beginning tomorrow, the Rays actually take on the Boston Red Sox, who they're battling for the top spot in the AL East with. Um, you know, and they're, they're, the Rays' offense has really struggled in June. It's 25th in the majors in OPS in June. Uh, so they're really going to look for a spark from Franco. Uh, it's interesting. This is sort of a little aside, but top prospects, especially hitters, the last year plus really have a, have struggled a little bit more than people would expect in their major league debuts uh, this season. We've seen guys like Jared Kelnick of the Mariners get off to a really good, uh, really bad start and get sent back down. And a lot of it can be attributed to, you know, the weirdness of the last, you know, year plus because guys didn't get to have minor league seasons last year. And then this year it started late and all these different weird factors. So it does, it does kind of sit there in my mind is like, you know, maybe we need to consider that these guys might not be all-stars right away. You know, it's not really a fair expectation, even though we've seen a number of of great players do it, but um, at the same time, Franco could absolutely provide a spark from them. It's been, you know, he's only 20, like I said, but he's been the top prospect in baseball for almost two years. You know, this is somebody who people have been waiting for. People have been watching to see how just how early he'd get up uh, to the majors. And, you know, the Rays, of course, have a great system, but they have been, you know, cautious about their prospects. You know, they've got so many guys that they haven't really been desperate to call somebody up. But now Mm -hmm. they're in a slide. Their offense is is not doing great. And they've got this they've got Franco here potentially to make a big impact right out of the gate. I don't know if we can expect it, but it wouldn't surprise me given just how talented he is, if he's able to make a big impact right away for the Rays. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's definitely probably, you know, if there's going to be a guy that's going to come out and, uh, and make an immediate impact, I think Franco is definitely the caliber that can do it. Um, I'm looking here and he, uh, he signed with the Rays in the 2017-18 international signing uh, period um, for almost $4 million. Um, made a huge, a lot of noise in, uh, in the minor leagues in, in Class A and they advanced. And, um, you know, switch hitter, lots of raw power, um, a really low swinging strike rate. Um, and I think he's, he's going to be a really, really good player. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I'm trying to find anything more, uh, that you didn't say, Chris. So Mm -hmm. I think you covered it and it's going to be, you know, exciting to see, um, one of, one of the, uh, like you said, the, the top prospect in baseball for two years now, finally get his, his shot in the big leagues. Um, and he's going to join the Rays for their series in Boston. So if you have a chance, mm-hmm. definitely check out uh, the the Red Sox and Rays game uh, tomorrow. And uh, yeah, that's that's Wander Franco. Definitely uh, the start of a uh, a new era down there in in Tampa Bay. So hopefully he can perform uh, at a high level. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I've seen him reading here his sort of prospect uh, write up from 
MLB pipeline from MLB.com. And mm-hmm. just the sentence here that caught my attention, it says, Franco has the physical tools and natural ability needed to become the top switch hitter of his generation. Yeah. He creates electric bats at bat speed with his exceptionally strong hands and wrists, and he knows how to manipulate his swing to put barrel to ball and make consistent hard contact to all fields. His approach and plate discipline are just as advanced as his swing. So yeah, this could be of like a guy who in a very short time, we're talking about alongside Soto, Acuna, Tatis mm-hmm. in that, in that group for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a, uh, a fun, uh, fun story to follow for the rest of the season. Uh, definitely. But we're going to move now to a Rays rival, the New York Yankees. And they made a little bit of history with their third triple play of the season yesterday. Um, it was a 5-4-3 triple play around the horn. Mm-hmm. And they, let's see here, they tied uh, an MLB record with this uh, triple play. They're the first team to, t- uh, to turn three triple plays in a season since the 2016 White Sox. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the first time a triple play ended the game uh, since 2009 um, when the Phillies turned one uh, to end their game against the Mets. Um, they, one of their other triple plays was a one, three, six, two, five, six triple play. Um, yeah. uh, I don't remember when that was. Let me get that. It was only a week or so ago. It wasn't, yeah, June, it wasn't super long ago. June 18th. So yeah, they turned what, two and three games or so. Um, oh yeah, that's right. That was just that recently. Yeah. And their first triple play in the season. Uh, came on May 22nd, and that was against uh, the White Sox, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> starting a rally and then uh, grounded into a triple play and uh, negates that that rally. But um, just an interesting little tidbit here for uh, for the Yankees, their third triple play of 2021. The Twins also have a couple, I think, this year. So uh, triple play making a comeback uh, in 2021. Yeah, there's no been uh, no team that's ever turned four in a season. So the Yankees have a chance at some real history, so real, real significant history, and they've still got more than half a season to do it. Uh, So that's going to be, yeah, (laughs) three more months and they just need one more, uh, just need one more and they'd be the first team ever to turn four in a season. Um, Yeah. Just one of those weird things. It was nicely turned. I saw that uh, the triple play, the the third one real nicely turned by the Yankees defense and uh, yeah, still a lot of time left this season to see if they can become the first ever to do it four times. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one more uh, note uh, for news in MLB this week, Ronald Acuna Jr. hit his 100th home run in just his 378th game. This was yesterday. Um, he, the only players to reach this milestone in fewer games were uh, a lot of really good home run hitters. Uh, Ryan Howard was the fastest at 324 games. Uh, Gary Sanchez, Aaron Judge, Ralph Kiner, and Joey Gallo. Uh, So he is the sixth fastest player to hit 100 homers in terms of games. He's also the fastest player uh, to have gotten both his 100th homer and 75th stolen base in terms of games as well. And in terms of age, Acuna hit his uh, 100th homer at 23 years old and 184 days. 
and the only players to reach 100 homers at a younger age were Mel Ott, Andrew Jones, Eddie Matthews, Alex Rodriguez, Tony Canigliaro, Miguel Cabrera, Johnny Bench, and Bryce Harper. So Acuna is joining some elite company in terms of uh, in terms of power hitters, and he's got you know the the speed to go along with it, and his his defense is obviously aided by his his uh, his fast legs. So definitely a a 40 40 threat every single season and it's it's kind of been uh, a treat to watch him uh, kind of grow up and become the superstar that he is today and he he's only going to get better he's just so young still and uh 23 years old and he's he's going to be a lot of fun to watch for a long time yeah you mentioned 23 years old he's at 100 career MLB home runs, he's only like three or four months older than I am. It makes me feel like, right. uh, like I haven't done enough because he's out there basically the same age that we are and his, yeah. you know, already hit 100 home runs in the majors. And, you know, just, it's just casual. No big deal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I've got a couple other, uh, another stat on Acuna, but I'm actually going to save it because uh, we're going to talk about our our home run derby picks. And so spoiler alert, he's in there for me. Uh, so I got yes. another fun stat I'm sure we'll talk about here coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with that, we'll, we'll uh, hop into our recaps of our teams. Um, the White Sox um, were taken on Tampa Bay, their first game of the season last week when we were recording. Um, and they ended up taking two of three from at that point, the best team in baseball. Um, Tyler Glass, now we've already talked about it. He left early. He left after four innings for, for the Rays. Um, but the bullpen, the Rays bullpen, was able to shut down the White Sox offense over the five innings for just two hits. Um, Lance Lynn was good. Six innings pitched, three earned runs, uh, and struck out eight. Uh, but the White Sox would end up losing that game five to two. And then in game two, Dallas Keuchel came out and, I, and had what I think is the best uh, outing of his White Sox career thus far. He threw seven innings of shutout baseball, just four hits and struck out five. Um, the offense came courtesy of a Danny Mendick RBI single and a home run off the bat of Adam Engel. Tim Anderson also had three hits uh, for the Sox and they took that one three to nothing. Um, game three, it was a wild game. The White Sox took a 73 lead into the seventh inning after Giolito pitched six strong innings um, and Jose Abreu started the scoring with his 12th home run of the season. But then Cody Hoyer allowed two home, uh, two runs in the seventh inning uh, to bring the score to seven to five. And then Aaron Bummer and Aaron and Evan Marshall uh, came in and gave up the lead in the eighth inning and the Rays were able to tie the game at seven. Um, something that got lost, I think, in this game is that Ryan Burr, the White Sox he came in to pitch the 10th inning and he threw eight of 10 pitches for strikes it was just his fourth outing of the season which I thought was really impressive came in there pounded the strike zone and and you know he was he was just nails for the Sox in that in that situation and uh allowed them to you know extend the game a little bit longer and uh allowed Yasmani Grandal to walk it off in the 10th inning um with an RBI single to score Andrew Vaughn from third base and this win earned the White Sox the best record in baseball at 43 and 25, which has since been uh, changed after their four-game sweep uh, at the hands of the Houston Astros at Minute Maid Park. Over the last four days, um, game one, not good. Dylan Cease gets rocked for six inning, uh, six earned runs over three and a third innings. 
offense disappeared, two runs on four hits, not going to win a lot of games, especially against a really good offense uh, like the Houston Astros have right now. Um, game two, kind of the one that got away for for the Sox. Um, Abreu had an RBI single in the first, and they probably should have had more. They had first and third, one out uh, in the first. They had first and second with two outs in the second and the third inning. Um, and couldn't score in any of those situations. Um, Carlos Rodon was phenomenal again. Um, he took a perfect game to the fifth this time. Uh, he ran into a little bit of a, tr- a little bit of trouble. He walked in uh, one run, which was his only run allowed for his outing. Um, and then the White Sox had one hit after the third inning. Luis Garcia, credit to him, he was awesome uh, for the Astros. Um, after, you know, the second or third inning, he settled down very nicely and was able to shut down the White Sox. Um, and then Garrett Crochet came in out of the bullpen, usually very strong. Um, but he allowed a Jordan Alvarez walk-off single in the ninth inning. The White Sox would lose two to one, uh, the first walk-off, uh, hit of Alvarez's career, which is going to be long and fun to watch, but unfortunately had to come against the White Sox. Um, game three, not any better. Lance Lynn, six runs on eight hits over four innings, the shortest of his, the shortest outing of his uh, White Sox career. Uh, quiet offense again, just three runs, uh, and the Sox lose seven to three. And game four, Dallas Keuchel, um, first start against his uh, former team, the Astros, um, got no help from his defense. He gave up six runs. Only three of them were earned, uh, but he only lasted two and two-thirds um, offense nowhere to be found again uh, two runs three hits and to put this in perspective uh, it was 20 the White Sox got out scored 27 to 8 over that four game series um, which was definitely very disappointing to see um, you know especially against after kind of you know measuring stick series against uh, the Blue Jays and the Rays taking two out of three from each of those teams but you know you go on the road you go to an environment like Houston and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to win, uh, uh, you know, on the road to begin with. And, you know, fans are coming back and these guys are playing in front of opposing fans for the first time uh, in over a year. So I'm sure that kind of contributes to it a little bit, but after that, the, uh, the lead in the central for the White Sox is two and a half games over Cleveland. Um, luckily they get an off day on Monday and Thursday this week, uh, after today, they will play, uh, two at Pittsburgh, uh, which will be a nice little breather for them. Hopefully they can pick up a couple of wins there and then they'll go back to Chicago and host the Seattle Mariners for three games, which will be the first games at guarantee rate field at full capacity since 2019. So that's going to be exciting for White Sox fans, White Sox players, and hopefully, That'll kind of uh, inspire the team and they can they can uh, get back on track because the series in Houston, man, that was rough. And uh, I don't think I watched the full game because I, the only full game I watched was the two to one game. And that was no fun uh, to watch that one end and watch them blow all those chances to score. And, uh, you know, the Astros, they're just, they got a hell of an offense and it's, uh, it's hard to slow down and their pitching staff is really, really good. And uh, yeah, it's going to be tough to get to the top of the American league, uh, especially with a team like Houston playing as well as they are right now. Chris, I lost you. 
Oh, can you hear me now? Yep, there we go. All right, sorry about that. You're good. <laughs> um, well, I was just stunned. I was just stunned by what you had to say. I couldn't believe that they'd hit a rough patch. I just, I'm yeah. speechless. You knocked me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, you know, it was one of those things with the White Sox where you know you kind of thought there would be a rough patch mm-hmm. at some point. Um, you know, and it's sort of a matter of what comes next. It seems like you know. Yeah. for them because it could be a, just a one week uh, short little rough patch or it could snowball if you're if you're not you know taking the right approach if you can't get back on track are you I actually have a question for you on them sure. you know I was looking at the numbers from the last week and they um, had the fifth worst OPS in baseball over the last week and it's a very small sample size sure. are you concerned about you know obviously the pitching had some rough spots this past week and that's you know it's going to happen it's just been performing so well that that's bound to happen at some point but are you concerned about the offense just given the number of injury hits you know they had brian goodwin batting cleanup yesterday right obviously an elite top three at anderson moncada and abreu but after that the lineup's a little bit dicey um are you sort of concerned like are you thinking like you know they really need to bring somebody in a bat in to play second base or something or are you not really too worried about that aspect yeah I am a little bit concerned. Um, you know, the, the lineup has not been pretty per se. It hasn't been horrible by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think um, trying to pull up their most recent lineup here. Um, let's see. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're so thin right now. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, they're, they're talking with the diamondbacks about Eduardo Escarp. Escobar, which would only help uh, their cause right yeah. now. But I mean, you look at guys, you have Jake Lamb playing, you have Brian Goodwin mm-hmm. playing almost every day. Yerman Mercedes has become ice cold over, you know, the last couple yeah. of months. Uh, you knew that his pace to start wasn't going to continue. Um, but he is, he, he's just become a, a shell of his former self, if you can even call it that after, you know, mm-hmm. his first month. Um, but I think anything, anything is going to help. And obviously they're going to, not every series is going to be against, you know, a top team in uh, the American league, which is fortunate um, for the White Sox, but they're going to have to play those, those games and those series because those are the kind of teams they're going to play in October. And, you know, I think it was Lance Lynn that after the race series, after taking two out of three from Tampa and becoming, you know, the team with the best record in baseball. Somebody asked him, what does that mean? Like, what does that do for this team? And he goes, it's June. Like nobody cares. And, you know, the same thing could be applied to this. It's June. You know, they haven't really since April, you know, they had a little bit of a rough start. They haven't really had, you know, a rough patch, a a, a time, span where they are really struggling to find kind of their their stride and their rhythm so i'm gonna go with lance lynn here and say it's june there is a long time left you know we saw what they've been able to do um playing you know the the top teams in in the american league very tough and you know they hung with the astros for at least one of these games which is encouraging it's on the road and the Astros are a very, very good baseball team. So, you know, and Yasmani Grandal said the same thing, the best, you know, he was asked about the best team. What does it mean to be the best team in baseball? And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter. The best team in baseball is the one that's standing 
alone with that commissioner's trophy at the, at the end of the season. So yes, it sucks. They lost four in a row and you know, they probably should have had at least one of the games. It's early. It's June 21st. And you know, they're going to have a long time to kind of get their stride get their guys back. You know, Eloy Jimenez seems like he's ahead of schedule and he's, and I'm going to be ramping up the baseball activities here uh, pretty soon and start a rehab stint in uh, about a month, I believe Rakan said. So um, yeah. that's a long way of saying it's early. I'm not super worried about it. Yes, there's some concerning numbers right now, but hopefully these series against Pittsburgh and Seattle uh, this next week can kind of help get them back on that, on that track that they were on earlier in the year. Yeah, it seems like they have the right attitude for at least those players that you mentioned have the right attitude about this. They're not going to get complacent with where they are. And uh, yeah. yeah, the Pirates, not a bad team to be facing when you're trying to get back on track. Uh, yeah, no. about that. <laughs> we'll take it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, the last couple of weeks from the Cardinals perspective, I've been coming in sort of as the you know, feeling a bit down on them or, you know, continuing as they sort of spiral downward. I would say this week, this past week was not a continuation of the spiral, but it also wasn't completely getting back on track either. It, yeah. it did start well for them. Uh, they played actually uh, seven games this past week. It started well. Uh, they swept a three-game home series against the Marlins, which, you know, the Marlins are uh, not a good team, but a respectable team right. uh, at this point. And game one, Tyler O'Neill was out there. Uh, doubling in the tie-breaking run in the eighth. Wainwright was good for six innings, uh, and that snapped the three-game slide that they had been on, losing, uh, getting swept by the Cubs. Um, and game two, uh, Kim returned from injury uh, for them. Uh, he was sharp, six innings, a one-run ball. Goldschmidt was, was effective, including a walk-off homer in the ninth. And then game three was another strong start, which that's rare to see, and it has been rare to see in a row, two good starts in a row. <laughs> Uh, or actually two or three good starts in a row. Uh, kind of a rare thing for the Cardinals at this point. And they got another walk-off, uh, Yadier Molina with an RBI single in the ninth uh, for a one-to-nothing victory. So at that point, uh, morale was pretty high. You know, the pitching had really improved. We'd gotten three straight starts that were quality starts, good starts, and the offense was enough, but it still wasn't great. Like that three-game sweep of the Marlins, it was still averaging 2.3 runs per game, which isn't great. Uh, so then they traveled to Atlanta to face a Braves team that, of course, we all know as being, you know, winning the NL East, I think, both of the last two years. Very good Braves team. Mm-hmm. This year's Braves have not been as good, slightly below 500. They've been banged up. Um, so really a team that you should take advantage of, at least split the series at, at the bare yeah. minimum. And they dropped the first two games and the offense went completely cold. And Charlie Morton took a no hitter into the seventh in the first game. And the Cardinals pitching wasn't great. Also wasn't horrible. You know, it was really just no offense. And the game two, it was no offense. Again, they scored only one run and Carlos Martinez gave up eight earned. So yeah, what, you know, that's rough. Then, you know, at that point I'm thinking, okay, well, is it a three game sweep followed by a four game getting swept uh, because that would be rough. They need to like, you know, and they started off Sunday uh, because they got rained out on Saturday. So mm-hmm. they play a double header on Sunday in Atlanta. And it was really a tale of two games because in game one, I was pretty, pretty pleased. The offense finally came alive. Goldschmidt, mm-hmm. Arenado homered. Wainwright was out there doing his thing again with a, 
a season high 11 strikeouts, which is kind of crazy given, you know, of course his age and his profile at this point, he's not a big strikeout pitcher. Um, and he's just been outstanding this year. I don't even want to think about where the Cardinals would be without their 39 year old veteran um, <laughs> at this point, cause it would be pretty ugly. Um, and so that was encouraging. And now I'm thinking, okay, well this, you know, you could split the series in Atlanta and get the sweep of the Marlins. And that would be pretty, oh, pretty good. Right. And then the offense just fell apart. Drew Smiley took a no hitter into the sixth for the Braves and Kim was good, but it was a one to nothing loss because the offense couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the week, it's four and three for this past week, which is good. I mean, it's about 500. It's fine, but I'm, I'm, you know, so I'm not like, I think they've stopped the free fall to some extent, but I'm still not super encouraged because, you know, for one, the Braves aren't really that great and they lost three of four. Um, you know, and the pitching concerns are still like they've, the pitching's been better, but it hasn't been great. So I'm still, I'm cautiously optimistic on the pitching, but now I'm more concerned about the offense because it's been inconsistent at best. Um, I saw a tweet, you know, just from, I think this was from yesterday from uh, Bernie Miklas, who's a St. Louis columnist who wrote that in their last five losses, which I believe we talked about uh three of them, you know, so Mm -hmm. those three losses and their previous two losses, they scored a total of three runs in those five games and they hit 107 in those games. And obviously your numbers and losses aren't going to look good. Like you're not going to be like, Oh, the Cardinals are hitting 307 in their losses. Like that would be odd. Um, But that's just really bad. Like there's been a couple of games where the offense has been there, but when your pitching isn't dynamite, even if, you know, we're getting back to a point where it might be okay you need more consistent offense than like, you know, good, but not great pitchers taking no hitters into the sixth against you right. two out of every three games. Isn't going to work. Like that's just not going to cut it. Um, you know, I mentioned the white Sox fifth worst OPS in the majors over the last five days. Well, second worst is the Cardinals. Yes. <laughs> of just five thirteen, hitting just yeah. one eighty eight over the last seven days um, is not, not great. That's just not going to do it. They can't seem to, beat good teams um you know the the stat that i had looked at it seemed as a few days old but basically the bad teams the marlins the pirates the rockies the diamondbacks they're out there taking care of business against them mm-hmm. but every other team they're playing it's a you know it was like 18 and 34 record or or you know maybe now it's like 19 and 36 or something but sure. it's it's not great and so i'm not really convinced in their ability to actually take care of business you know, have good series against good teams because it seems like they're only really good series are against bad teams right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm not like hitting the panic button anymore. Like it's the ship is just <laughs> sinking and it's sort of like starting to, you know, maybe float again, but you're not sure. quite sure yet. And that's kind of where we are at this point. So they've got uh, some, they've got some pretty bad opponents that they face this week uh, themselves. I believe we've got uh, them facing the Tigers, for two games uh tomorrow and wednesday and then they play uh, host to the pittsburgh pirates for four games so a couple of bad teams uh the pirates after taking on the white Sox, they come to st louis to face the cardinals so hopefully you know they can at least continue to perform above 500 against these bad teams and then hopefully get you know show some positive signs when they face some tough competition moving forward yeah, I mean, it seems like 
like you said, Chris, they've, they've stopped the free fall. You know, they, right. they were playing just really bad baseball and not doing the little things well and everything like that. But, you know, they, I think that, that series against the Marlins definitely, it definitely helped. Um, you know, they played at home. It's the Marlins. They were able to take all, uh, all three games of that series. And then, you know, they, they've got to figure out a way to get, to wake the bats up. You know, I feel like, you know, the, the, the latter part of the week for both of our teams was very similar in that the offense was basically non-existent. Mm-hmm. You know, two, two pitchers took no hitters, you know, relatively late into games against the, uh, against the Cardinals. And, you know, the Astros pitching held the White Sox to eight runs over four games. So, you know, very similar, no offense, okay pitching uh, at times, at least for both of our teams. So, you know, hopefully, obviously the Cardinals were a little bit better at at four and three this week versus the White Sox two and five. Um, But uh, yeah, hopefully it it can turn around for for both teams uh, this time next week. Um, But now you get to talk about a a St. Louis Cardinals legend in uh, our this day in baseball for this week. Yeah, very, uh, very fitting. I looked up uh, June 21st, coming up with ideas for our This Day in Baseball segment, and I found Mm -hmm. one that seemed rather fitting. And it's about a player who you actually mentioned here just a a short time ago uh, when talking about when he made his debut back in the year that uh, Wander Franco was born. And that's Albert Pujols. who on this day in baseball in 20, oh, I, don't, I realized I didn't include the date on here. I believe it was 2017. I'm sorry. I believe it was 2019. Um, yep. But now I need to look that up. 2019. Yes. Yes, that's right. 2019. Uh, <laughs> Albert Pujols returned to St. Louis. Uh, the future Hall of Famer received a, a you know big welcome in his first trip back to Bush. He got standing ovations during warmups during a scoreboard tribute, during each and every single at-bat he had in the game while he was playing, of course, for the Angels, uh, and then a curtain call when he left the game. Um, of course, Pujols playing in the American League with the Angels for so many years. After leaving St. Louis, they didn't face the Cardinals very often. So uh, that was the first time in eight years since leaving St. Louis um, that he had returned to play at Bush Stadium. And of course, at the time, you know, that's a decision that you know, like we've seen in so many sports with so many great players who've moved on to play for other teams. It was a decision that made many Cardinals fans angry. And it was sort of a surreal moment to see him back. And so universally appreciated, Um, you know, there was not, it was not a mixed reaction. It was not a like, Oh, some people cheering, some people booing. I'm sure there might've been some people booing, but uh, it was very, it was a very, you know, complete reaction, very uh, general consensus of, of recognition for everything that he had done. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, nowadays we're talking about so many other great young players and Pujols has just been a average or below average player now for so many years that I think it's easy to forget just how incredible of a run he had in his first 11 years with the Cardinals, the first 11 years of his major league career, because I just, I looked at the numbers again, just because why not? And I see him averaging <laughs> in his Cardinals career because it was fun, you know, to look at. Yeah, uh, he, in his Cardinals career, averaged 155 games played per season, 40 homers, 41 doubles, 117 runs, 121 RBI, heck, even eight steals per season <laughs> while hitting 330 basically with an OPS 
north of a thousand. Three MVPs, ten times in eleven seasons, he finished top five in MVP validating. Uh, so that shows not only the consistency, the greatness. He even remained healthy. I mean, you know, almost all those years, you know, you got to be largely healthy to get a top five MVP MB, MVP finish. Um, you know, six silver sluggers, gold gloves, rookie of the years, world series, all the, all the works. So, uh, just, a just a fun, sort of a surreal moment back just two years ago on this date when he returned to St. Louis with the angels. Yeah. And, uh, definitely one of the, one of the guys that I growing up kind of watched and he was like, you know, one of the obviously top players in the game at the time and, you know, watching him and, it was just so fun to watch because he would put together great seasons every single year. I mean, he, he talked about it. He hit 330. He averaged hitting 330 over 11 years, averaged 40 homers a year. And, you know, 155 games played for 11 years. You know, that's, I mean, that by itself is really impressive. Like you said, because he's just got to stay healthy. Won a couple of gold gloves, rookie of the year. I mean, he, he's done it all. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. And uh, just uh, a crazy, uh, crazy to kind of see his journey coming to an end. But even as as that happens, he's still um, one of the best players uh, of our generation, uh, Chris, to to uh, put on a uniform. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's uh you know, and he's still doing something here at age 41. You know, he's got more homers with the Dodgers than the Angels now this season. Yeah. He's, he's up yeah. to six homers. He's hitting 263. You know, his OPS is above 800. Like, he's actually yeah. been a legitimate – his OPS plus 126. He's been, a, like, a legitimate contributor for the Dodgers. It's yeah. weird to see, even though, you know, obviously, like you said, uh, the final, final years of his career, uh, certainly a remarkable career, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. So after that, we will, uh, for the first time on the show, go to the National League and talk about the National League East. And this is an interesting one because all four of the five teams in the division are under 500 as we uh, talk about it here today on June 21st. the Mets are the only team above 500. They are eight games over at 37 and 29 with a four and a half game lead over the Phillies in second place. The Nationals, who are one game behind the Phillies, uh, the Braves, who are a half game behind the Nationals, and then the Marlins, who are two and a half games behind the Braves. So, you know, third, uh, second through fifth place are separated by just four games. So looking at at this as it stands right now, Chris, what's kind of your your thoughts about how this is going to shake out and who's kind of the team to beat at this point? Because it doesn't really seem like there's a clear cut, you know, cream of the crop in this uh, division. Yeah, this is a really interesting one. Like you said, um, you know, there's no, unlike most of the other divisions, there's no truly bad team in this Mm -hmm. division i mean the marlins don't have a great record and you know the like you said there's four teams under 500 yet there also isn't any really bad team either and the top four teams in the nl east are all separated by six games you know i mean there's no there's no you know even the braves at fourth right now which is they've been a disappointment no doubt they're still only you know six games out 
of the division lead uh, because it's not like the Mets have been lighting the world on fire, um, though they've done well despite the number of injuries that they've been dealing with. Um, You know, I don't think my, I think Miami, we can kind of set to the side as, you know, they're a respectable club, but I don't think anybody at this point is really considering them as a, an NL East contender, Mm -hmm. Washington, a team I'm not taking super seriously. Maybe that's a mistake. They're on a great run now, which I didn't expect them to make, but they're without Strasburg. Uh, I believe they're still without Scherzer as well, who's sidelined. Um, you know, I, they've got some top-end talent, of course. Juan Soto, Trey Turner are incredible. But I still, I just, I don't know if there's enough talent there on that roster. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Atlanta, Philadelphia, like I could see either of them going, you know, being in a position to win this division and it wouldn't shock me. Um, because there is some real talent there, but I still think the Mets, the team at first, I'm going to go with the boring answer as being the team to beat because they're at 37 and 29, despite so many injuries, they've been without their starting third baseman, without their, uh, starting second baseman, without their starting right fielder, without their left, uh, their center fielder. Like they've been just at Pete Alonso was injured. They've just had so many injuries Mm -hmm. and Francisco Lindor hasn't been great. Like, the number of injuries, like their lineups that they've been throwing out there have just not been good um, lineups. And they're still at this point because they've gotten some contributions offensively for some other guys, but especially because their pitching has just been incredible led of course by DeGrom, but Marcus Stroman um, and, and also uh, I'm blanking on some of their other starters at the moment, but uh, yeah. they have Taiwan, uh, Walker, is one, Taiwan Walker. That's who I was looking for. Yeah. Taiwan Walker has been great. And they're getting some of their injured hitters back soon. Like Jeff McNeil has come off the IL like today. Conforto is due back soon. Like their lineup is getting healthier. And that pitching has been so dominant that I think the Mets at this point, um, considering that they're, you know, four and a half games up despite those injuries, makes me feel pretty confident they're going to be the team that, you know, the team to beat moving forward. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I don't see enough in the other teams in the division to really think that there's anybody that's going to make a run at the Mets. Like you said, they're only going to get better. They're getting a lot of their top guys back that have been out. Jeff McNeil uh, obviously came off uh, or is about to come off the IL um, relatively soon in the next couple of days here. Obviously you have that pitching staff, like you said, led by DeGrom. Um, Stroman and Walker have been awesome as well. Tylen Walker, I think having, um, a little bit of a bounce back uh, season after a couple of rough uh, seasons as of late um, with Toronto and Seattle dealing with uh, injuries and stuff like that. Um, but I think he's, he's find his, found his, uh, his groove once again. And, you know, when you have really good pitching uh, you don't have to be, you know, world beaters offensively you can throw guys out there like jonathan vr at third base while jd davis is out and be all right you can have francisco lindor hitting 220 in his first you know 70 games uh as a new member of your team and be okay um but i think all you know this team once they get back to full strength i think they're definitely going to be the the team to beat in the division uh if they're not already and i think they're at that point um, and one thing I've noticed in their, in their top, uh, eight, uh, batters here, 
all of them are hitting somewhere between 220 and like 245. So mm. nobody's hitting objectively horrible. Nobody's hitting objectively great. It's just really okay. You know, and you can be that. Like I said, you can be that when you have guys like Jacob deGrom and Marcus Stroman and, and Taiwan Walker this year going out every fifth day and just giving you really, really solid, if not great starts. So, yeah, I mean, all that to say, I think the Mets are are probably the team to beat in the NL East. I don't know if they're going to be able to make a run uh, that deep into the postseason, but um, for anyone uh, looking for a pick uh, out of the National League East. I think the Mets are your are your uh, are your bet right now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I think you, yeah, you're right. You're right. In, I think we're in lockstep in our thoughts on that. Yeah, um, you know, you never know with the Phillies. That's a right. team. I just will throw that out there. And the Braves, of course, they've they've been there the last few years. So I don't. I could certainly not going to write them off. Mm-hmm. And the Phillies, they are a team that's come short the last few years. But of course you know, the top end talent is there. Harper, Real Muto, um, you know, Zach Wheeler, Darren Nola, yeah. like the top end talent is there as well as in Atlanta, but right. yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you for the exact same reasons for sure. Yeah. So now we get to go into the, the fun part of our, uh, of our, yeah. uh, show today. And we get to give you our Homer Derby wish lists. Um, we, Chris and I kind of talked about this after we uh, finished the show yesterday and we we're kind of like, you know, when, when should we do this? You know, when does, when does the lineup normally come out? And um, it's good that we did it this week because we already know um, one of the contestants that will be in the home run derby barring any kind of crazy injury or anything like that. And that will be Shohei Otani, the, uh, the modern day Babe Ruth, who is now leading uh, the major leagues with 23 home runs. Um, and I mean, Chris, he's had a wild, uh, past week, just, I mean, doing it all. He's hit home runs. He struck guys out. I mean, he was named AL player of the week. So I think getting Shohei Otani in the home run derby, it's going to draw a lot of people, um, as if the event doesn't already, because it's it's so fun to watch, and I think adding Otani is is uh, a great get for for the event, and it's just going to get a lot of people uh, to watch it. Um, I know you have a few a few thoughts on Otani, and then we'll get to the rest of our, our lists. So, what did what yeah. did Shohei do that was just crazy out of the uh, off the wall this week? Yeah, it's been it's been insane. Uh, like you mentioned, just named AL Player of the Week today. Last week, he hit six home runs as a batter in the week and threw six innings of one-run ball against the Tigers. And he picked up his 10th stolen base of the season and his ERA is at 2.70 after 10 starts. And his OPS is over 1,000. It's three points higher than Mike Trout's career OPS is. And he hit his 70th home run in the majors yesterday, becoming Mm -hmm. just the fourth player ever with 70-plus career homers and 100-plus career strikeouts as a pitcher, joining Johnny Lindell, Rick Ankeel, and Babe Ruth. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. this guy, I, I think even, you know, you mentioned the, you know, I think this could be the highest-rated home run derby in at least a couple of years, just oh, yeah. 
almost alone on the Otani factor. I mean, not that it won't be exciting <laughs> in other ways and not that it, sure. there won't be good, uh, good ratings either way. But I mean, this is just this generational talent, this guy that baseball hasn't seen anybody like this in decades and decades. I think mm-hmm. just him alone, people tuning in to watch what he does is going to be great for the sport. Um, it's going to be so much fun to watch. I know we both, of course, have him on our list of guys we want to see and uh, yep. who we now know we will see, barring injury, fingers crossed, um, oh, yeah. uh, at uh, at Coors Field. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, um, and it will be at Coors Field. So we might we might see some uh, some uh, five hundred plus. I'm going to say we will see some five hundred plus yeah. split home runs, and I think uh, that's just going to add to to the absolute insanity that we're going to see in a couple of weeks here. Um, but next on my list, I have Aaron Judge. Um, mm-hmm. maybe an easy pick, but Aaron judge, um, we all remember what he did in Miami a few years ago, just put on an absolute crazy display of power, hit the roof with one home run that I don't think counted, which I think was just completely stupid. Um, but judge hasn't played a full season since his, his rookie of the year season back in 2017, when he hit 52 home runs, he's just had to deal with a lot of injuries and that's mainly been his issue. Uh, two-time all-star uh, in 2017 and 2018 but since uh, his 2017 rookie of the year season he hasn't played more than 112 games um, last year he missed some time with injury as well and it was a shortened season anyway he only played 28 games um, but he hit nine home runs in those games and right now he has 15 home runs uh, and 36 rbis um his 15 home runs good enough for 21st in baseball right now. And uh, I think it would just be a, an awesome uh, compliment to Otani uh, just with judges, huge power. And I think he could put on another awesome show. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I was looking him up because mm-hmm. I wanted to look at his numbers, like you were, sure. you were saying, and I found some bad news. Oh. Um he says he plans on skipping the home run derby until it returns to New York. Oh, bummer. I had So seen that is that. a bummer. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just seeing it now, and um, it is a bummer. I mean, it still fits on the list in terms of guys you'd want to see. Like, it doesn't make you oh, want to see him any less, but in terms of likelihood of it happening, it appears – I don't know why he feels that way. I'm reading the article now. I don't know mm-hmm. why he – he just – the article doesn't really say why he feels yeah. that way um because it's it basically acknowledges he's open to play to being in the home run derby again i don't know why he has that stipulation but yeah um unfortunately like he's a guy who like you said i'm right there with you would love to see him smashing homers at coors uh but i i don't think it's gonna happen unless he changes his mind maybe somebody will talk him into it hopefully and one thing i'll add while we're talking about guys who won't be in the home run derby real quick vladimir Mm -hmm. guerrero jr unfortunately has also said he will not be participating um, he's just going to take the time to kind of refresh and recuperate for the second half of the season. Can't say I blame him. Obviously right. put on an insane show uh, a couple of years ago uh, against Pete Alonzo in the finals and just throughout that entire home run derby. Um, so another disappointment uh, that we will not see. Uh, but let's get into uh, back in the guys that we at least hope will be there and haven't said yeah. otherwise. Yeah, so I'm going to go with for my second pick, Matt Olson, who I think we can. Yeah, I'm sure you can you can throw in some uh, your thoughts on this too, because I know he's one of the guys, uh, one of your other two players as well. Yes. Yep. Um, Matt Olson having a really really great bounce back year. I mean, we already knew 
that he was one of the best power hitters in baseball mm-hmm. um, because he's been that. He's been just an elite power hitter. He's right now in fourth in the majors. He's only one of four players to reach 20 homers at this point, along mm-hmm. with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Shohei Otani, and a player I know we're going to talk about here in the NL coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not only been an incredible power season for Olsen, who, you know, he's 27, he's in his prime. We saw him hit 36 homers just a couple seasons ago. And at this point, it looks like he may be having a career year after a really bad 2020. Like it was a shortened season. And so you didn't know how much to make of it, but he still showed power last year, but he hit 195. And Olsen's out there now in just, uh, you know, 30 more at bats than last year. And he has six more homers, 11 more RBIs. And most notably his batting average is over a hundred over a hundred points higher. Yeah. He's hitting 303. Now he's not going to hit 303. I can't imagine because he's not that good of a contact hitter, Right. but still what we're seeing him do right now is tremendous. He's one of the best pure sluggers in the game. Of course, we talk about all these guys who are sort of, you know, and deservedly so we talk about these players who are sort of all around threats, these, you know, Acuna, Tatis, Soto, um, who are sort of more, you know, athletic, speedy, base, stolen base threats. And Olsen is not that. He's the slugging first baseman type, but he's got the kind of power that absolutely could play at Coors Field. Yeah, no, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head, Chris. You know, he had a really bad season last year, that of 195. You knew that's not what he was. Um, are we sure he's this, you know, hit over 300 guy? Yeah, probably not. But it's it's really good to see him, and it's really fun to see him batting over 300 and hitting for a little bit of average as well. His OPS uh, right around a thousand, just a couple points lower at 998, which uh, would be the highest mark in his career, uh, except for his uh, first partial season in uh, in the majors when he OPS uh, 1003. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think Matt Olson would definitely be a great addition. A guy that doesn't get a lot of recognition, but like you said, one of the best pure sluggers uh, in baseball right now. And uh, so he he was also one of my uh, one of my picks uh, for the American League side of the home run derby. Um, and we'll get into now my third. Yeah, we talked about Aaron Judge, and we'll talk about my fourth pick. Uh, to go along with Otani, Judge, and Olsen, it's going to be Adalis Garcia. Adalis Garcia, rookie sensation for the Texas Rangers, has hit 18 home runs this season thus far. We talked about him a little bit uh, on the uh, on the show before this. Obviously, was in the Cardinals system. Cardinals gave up on him, cut bait, and he went to uh, Texas. And this year, since he's... Uh, uh, been called up he has been on that absolute tear 18 home runs like I said 272 batting average an OPS about 830 um, he's also driven in 48 runs which is a great pace that he's on right now and you know a young a really good young hitter um, a guy that almost nobody knew about uh, coming into this season and he has come out of nowhere and just been this insane force for for texas kind of a a compliment to joey gallo who is another name that i was kind of throwing around uh that i think would be really fun to see 
on uh, a home run derby because we all know the, the light tower power that he has. Um, but I think Garcia would be uh, just as good of an addition uh, to the derby, kind of keeping that, that, um, that young, uh, not that he's particularly young, he's 28 years old, but that, that new kind of um, energy that has kind of come into baseball with the guys like uh, Cunha and Tatis and Soto and those guys that you mentioned before. So, yeah, I think Andalas Garcia would be an, an awesome uh, participant in, in the 2021 home run derby. Yeah, I think that would be fun because I'm right there with you in the idea of trying to reward some players, like you said, not super young, but reward some newcomers to the scene, mm-hmm. you know, because of course everybody does want to see these players who are either just these huge sensations like Otani or guys who are somewhat established, Matt Olson, you know, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. And, and Garcia doesn't necessarily fit the box either of those, but I think it does make sense to get a spot or two for guys who are having these sort of career years, reward them for their incredible performance this season and get them a shot, you know, right. get a guy who maybe, of course, Rangers fans know, but the Rangers aren't a team that gets a lot of national attention. Understandably, they're very bad um, yes. right now, but to get you know him that attention that he deserves on a national level because he's mm-hmm. emerging as this great talent, uh, you know, and so it, it makes sense to try to get him that national attention. So I think that's a really good pick. Uh, that would be fun. Um, I'll throw my third and fourth picks out here pretty quickly. Um, my third pick is Rafael Devers, Boston Red Sox, third baseman, um, who is tied for fourth in the American League with uh, 18 homers on the season. Uh, a guy who is younger than you think because he's been in the majors since 2017, but he came up really young. He's still just 24 years old, which, you know, it's, it's hard yeah. to believe, you know, because he came up and he was, you know, he was great in 2019. He was good last year he was okay in 20 like he's only had one like great great season and he's not an elite defender he's not a center fielder he's not a shortstop he's a third baseman so um you know not as flashy as some of these other guys who you think of in this sort of under 25 superstars range but I think he definitely belongs in that category he's out there hitting 280 basically 18 homers on the season and Mm -hmm. a big part of the Red Sox lineup so I think that would be fun to see, see him get some well-deserved attention. And my fourth pick for the AL, since I had to ditch my Vladimir Guerrero pick, since he's not going to be in it, um, uh, I went with Jared Walsh, which is sort of a surprise Mm -hmm. pick. I think a guy who some people would be like, who, who is, who's Jared Walsh? Well, it's the angels successor to Albert Pujols at first base, who has Mm -hmm. like really backed up a 2020 breakout, which, you know, shortened season, you don't know how much of it's legit. And Walsh has been incredible. He is also tied for fourth in the American League in home runs. He also has 18. He is uh, at fourth in the AL in slugging percentage behind only Vlad Jr., Otani, and Olsen. He's just been an incredible force, 51 RBI. He's hitting 290. Um, An incredible force in the Angels lineup. Not a guy who, again, many people haven't heard of him, but a guy who looks like another superstar first baseman along the lines of Matt Olson, uh, to some degree, the raw power really seems to be there. So those mm-hmm. are two guys who I'd like to see get some uh, attention as well. Yeah, no, I like both of those picks. I think they're definitely, you know, underappreciated, underrated uh, players, especially, you know, Raphael Devers, who's kind of the, when when the White Sox made that trade for for Chris Sale and they got Yohan Moncada, it was kind of like, 
you know, the Red Sox put a lot of pressure on Rafael Devers because they're like, we tra- just traded away, you know, the guy that we could have chosen over you. Uh, right. So you better produce. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I think he's done that. And I think he's gotten, you know, a lot of flack because um, he hasn't been objectively bad at all at any point in his career. You know, he had that one good year. He hit uh, 311. Um, even last year, he hit 263, which is pretty good still. Um Mm-hmm. but you know i think he's gotten you know been overlooked a lot like you said and just you know people think he's a lot worse than he actually is um yeah. i don't know why that is but you know looking at his numbers i was kind of that of that opinion too i was kind of like he's overrated i don't know if they made the right decisions tra- uh, trading Moncada and keeping him but looking at the numbers i mean you know he's very very comparable to Juan Moncada at this point in his career a little better uh power numbers than Moncada has um, but they're very, very similar players. Um, and then as far as Jared Walsh goes, I think you hit the nail on the head again, you know, uh, very uh, similar to Albert Pujols, who obviously was the, uh, we talked about a bunch today, and he's, uh, he was the former first baseman for the Angels, but they kind of had to uh, push him out if they wanted to get Jared Walsh everyday playing time. Um, he's 27 years old, so for a guy that's kind of, just breaking out now a little bit like Adalas Garcia, um, a little bit on the older side, but no less exciting, you know, 18 home runs, like you said, OPS over 900. He's, he's uh, got a lot of power and he's, he could be a really excited, put on a really exciting performance in the home run derby. So that's the, uh, that's the American league side. We'll jump to the national league side. And this for me was, easier and harder, I think, than the American League because a lot of the young, you know, exciting superstars are are in the National League right now. Um, but, you know, you, Mike Trout's hurt in the American League. Byron Buxton just came back for the Twins, so I don't know if that'll impact his uh, decision or if he'll even be invited to, uh, to uh, participate in the Home Run Derby. Um, so, you know, you had those two guys that were kind of you know, probably not going to be picked. So you had to maybe look look around a little bit for, for mm-hmm. your picks. For me, the National League was pretty clear cut. Um, my first pick, uh, we'll do the two picks that we have in common because we have two of the same and two different. First, for both of us, Ronald Acuna Jr., 19 home runs, fifth in baseball right now. I mean, what more can you say? He's, he's one of the best young players in baseball, center fielder for the Atlanta Braves, of course. Um, he's got that that dual speed and power threat, you know, uh, and he's actually hit one more home run since uh, <laughs> since I made my list. So he's got 19 now. Um, he also leads the league in uh, stolen bases with 15. His OPS is at 10-10. His slugging is over 600. His on base is 404. I mean, he does it all. So um, to just have him in the home run derby, I think, does him a little bit of uh, almost a disservice. Um, Obviously, he'll, you know, if everything goes according to plan, he will most certainly be an all-star for the National League, um, which I think is really important to get guys like this on the national stage uh, and playing in the all-star game. But, uh, Chris, you got any any uh, any more thoughts on Acuna? Yeah, not, not too much that hasn't already been said. It's just very fitting that here, as we're talking about him one minute ago, I'm getting the 
Bleacher Report alert that says Acuna blasts 115.7 mile an hour bomb. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's very, it's very fitting. Here he yeah. is doing it again. It's very on brand, uh, very timely. Oh, yeah. Not much else to say on Acuna. You, you hit it on the head there. Yeah. So you want to introduce our, uh, our other common pick here? Sure. And uh, it's another one that you would expect. I think anybody trying to come up with this list is going to go with the guy who right now is leading the National League in home runs, who is just this another another generational talent, took the sport by storm over the last year plus, and that's Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. 22 home runs, 50 RBI, 12 doubles, 13 steals, Titan 285. I mean, it's another player who has become such a big name and got that historic contract in the offseason. Uh, with San Diego, he's become such a big name in such a short period of time. He's so young. I mean, it's it's for me, you know, you talk about the best players in baseball right now. Of course, Mike Trout's still in that conversation. But, you know, you look at Tatis, Acuna, and uh, another one of the guys who you have here coming up uh, as the best hitters in, in baseball. It's, mm-hmm. it's clear this is a guy who's going to be, you know, a starting shortstop, a superstar. I mean, he's 22 yeah. It's just comical. I mean, he's younger. He's like a year younger than we are. And yeah. here he is as, you know, showing no signs, you know, even what he did last year, I was not skeptical of him being a great player, mm-hmm. but I was skeptical. I was just sort of cautiously saying, okay, maybe, maybe he can't hit for quite good, that good of an average, you know, right. Sure. but no, he's here. He's hitting 285. He's been injured. He hurt his shoulder earlier mm-hmm. this year. He was on the injured list and it still just hasn't slowed him down. No. at all uh fernando tatis jr just something special absolutely i mean he he has 22 home runs which leads the national league right now he mm-hmm. also hit 22 home runs in his rookie season in 2019 however he had 134 more at bats in 2019 than he <laughs> has right now he has 200 uh at bats right now as we stand on june 21st and he has the exact same uh, number of home runs at 22, three less RBIs. He's got 50, and uh, he's leading all of baseball in slugging percentage at three, uh, 675. And he leads the National League in OPS at 1039 with an OPS plus of 190, almost twice as good as league average. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's not much more that can be said. I mean. He's going to be a, a super for a very long time. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's really no better representation of what baseball is becoming than than Fernando Tassis Jr. Yeah, well put, well put, yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, I'll let you go ahead here and throw out your, uh, who's your third player here? Because you have another, well, you got a couple interesting players, including one who, I would definitely throw in there in the conversation of among the best hitters in baseball at this point. Yeah. So right now um, we're going to go with a guy that we've talked about quite a bit uh, on the show thus far. uh, And that's Jesse Winker outfielder Mm -hmm. for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, Obviously we've said it a lot before he's having a career season, 341 batting average, 17 home runs, which I believe is 17 home runs is 12th in baseball right now and just has a lot of power. I mean, he, his OPS is, is 1023. His slugging percentage is 610. 
He's got 14 doubles to go with those 17 home runs and just a really fun player to watch. Cause I mean, every time he comes to the plate, just the way he kind of comes to the box, he, I mean, he just looks like he's going to hit a home run every time. Um, and when you, when you can come to the plate and people say that about you, I mean, you're doing something right. So I think Jesse Winker would be an awesome, uh, another awesome addition. Um, and he can definitely hit some, hit some tape measure shots out of course. Yeah, no doubt about that. I'm looking at his, you know, he's already at a career high in home runs. He's never hit more than 16 yeah. in a season. And here he is uh, with 17. Uh, you know, his stat cast metrics are really impressive. It's hard hit percentage, 92nd percentile, mm-hmm. 94th in expected slugging percentage. His exit velocity is way up there. I mean, he looks like a, you know, legitimate uh, star here, a guy who, you know, at 27, a guy who I know a lot of analysts have been expecting to break out for a couple seasons, mm-hmm. and it just hasn't quite happened. He's had a hard time staying healthy, and that's factored into it. And yeah, a guy who, you know, he's hit like 290 a few times, and now he's out there hitting 341. This right. looks like the breakout for sure. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for my third player, I'm going to I'm gonna go with the defending champion of the uh, of the uh, home run derby, which is uh, Pete Alonso. I feel like you got to have the reigning champ in there. Of course, uh, he was in. We didn't have a home run derby last year in 2019, which was his rookie season. Uh, Alonso put on a show. He hit 23 home runs in the final round to yeah. edge out Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who we just mentioned a little bit ago, by one home run. That was really a really special show. Uh, just incredible to watch. And so I just, I want to, you know, I don't know if he'll want to do it. He might easily just be like, I look, I want, I don't need to do this again. I'm focused on this season, but I kind of just want to see the reigning champion there. Can he defend his crown? Yeah. No, I think, you know, it feels like it's almost wrong to not have him in there. Um, Definitely a guy I considered. Um, And he's having, you know, not by any means what he did in his rookie season, um, but solid power numbers, 11 homers, 35 RBIs, um, batting average round 250. It's pretty much what we, what everybody's kind of expecting him to be is 250 home or 250 average, about 40 homers a year guy. Um, but yeah, defending champion, uh, definitely got to have him in the lineup, uh, for the national league. And my last player is a guy that's kind of um, flying under the radar a little bit this season, mostly because of the absolute insanity he produced last season, and that's Juan Soto. So Juan Soto, he's got uh, only eight home runs this year. So the power number's down a little bit, especially from his his uh, 2019 campaign when he broke out and hit 34 homers, 110 RBIs. But, you know, I mean, I don't know how you follow up a, a year where you lead the league or lead your league in all the triple crown category, or not the triple crown categories, lead the league in slash line. Um, he led the National League in batting average at 351, and he led all of baseball in on base slugging and OPS and OPS plus as well. So, you know, Juan Soto not producing quite at that level and it would be hard to do that uh, because you don't hit 350 every single season 
but I think he's yeah. he's another one of those young guys with the the Acunas and the Tatises and the Otanis that are you know that that next generation of baseball and you know the the guys that have that that fun personality and that you know they show a lot of emotion and you know they're not afraid to do that so i think uh acuna or soto would round out a uh very young and very exciting uh national league home run derby lineup yeah that would be really fun to see i would have absolutely zero complaints seeing juan soto uh, in the derby like you mentioned his numbers down a little bit this year one thing i kind of um wonder with him and this isn't really directly related to his home run derby um you know potentially being in the home run derby but he's been dealing or at least earlier this season he had dealt with a shoulder injury sure. and so part of me wonders if that could be affecting his power numbers because that's just something that's been known to have affected players in that way you know they've had a shoulder injury come back and the power hasn't the power numbers haven't quite been there um for a little while until I, you know maybe it's like a next season sort of thing so you know, I'm wondering if that could account for, you know, look, he's still getting on base at a great clip and he's still been a very good player. I'm wondering if that might be a factor in why the power hasn't quite been, like you said, he's not going to get to last year's numbers probably ever again. Um, but that could be factoring in. I still think, like you said, that he's a, one of those generational talents along with Tatis Jr. and Soto and, and all and the like. So I think that would be really, uh, pardon me, Tatis Jr. and Acuna and, and everybody like that. So I think that would be an awesome pick. Uh, my final pick for the NL field is kind of a homer pick, and it's also kind of fun. It's Nolan Arenado. Um, he is not uh, has not put up the kind of numbers that have been just spectacular. He's it's been very good, uh, two seventy batting average, basically thirteen homers. So he's not a league leader kind of guy in power uh, this season. He's been very good since uh, in his first season with the Cardinals. Not elite, so. I understand that it's not necessarily a conventional pick, but I think it would be fun for the uh, Coors effect of him going back to Coors Field. I think it'd be fun unless you're a Rockies fan, then it probably wouldn't be so fun. Um, but I'm going to go with, with Arenado. He hit 235 home runs in eight seasons with the Rockies. Uh, he's hit 136 career homers at Coors. He's slugging over 600. His OPS is almost 1,000 at Coors Field as you would expect, you know, it's a very hitter friendly environment. And I just think it would be fun to see him back in there sort of putting on a show uh, for the crowd there that of course, I think generally speaking still, you know, likes Arenado and, and everything he did for the team over the years. So that's my pick a little outside the box, but I, I went with Arenado. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, you know, I kind of expected it just being, you know, now a Cardinal, yeah. but I didn't even, mm really put together the whole, you know, going back to, to Denver thing and, and uh, putting on another show at Coors for, for the Rockies fans. And I think, you know, like you said, I would have no reason to believe that there's many, if any Rockies fans that have any kind of animosity towards him. He was kind of uh, the victim of a bad situation out there in Colorado. And, you know, you feel for those fans because the same thing is probably going to happen with Trevor Story you know, another very good player and another, you know, maybe not generational talent, but another top player, top shortstop mm -hmm. in the game right now. And, uh, you know, losing, losing Arenado and story in potentially less than a year could be uh, really devastating for that franchise, but back to the home run derby, 
Arenado would be another pick and Trevor Story was another name I considered because I don't know if they'll do the yeah, whole have somebody from the team uh, you know rep- that's hosting the all-star game in the derby so that was another name I considered and I wouldn't be surprised to see Trevor Story but I think Nolan Arenado could be another one of those you know kind of storyline picks uh, that could still put on a, a very uh, a very entertaining show yeah yeah, no doubt about it. One other name I considered, I'll just throw out there real quick, Javier Baez, because he's such an electric talent himself. I think that would be fun to see. Although yeah. I did just get I did just get an alert. Apparently he was benched for for getting how many outs there were in a game <laughs> so, right, tonight. So there's that. But no, in terms of his pure power, uh, he's a very electric player as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is all the time that we have uh, tonight on the Warning Track Power podcast. A um, couple of really good series coming up this week. Um, we get another Dodgers Padres series, which just gets underway right now. Um, those games have been super entertaining uh, oh, yeah. so far this season. And then another one that I think can be really interesting and really telling for what kind of happens uh, the rest of the way in the American League East is the Red Sox take on the Rays uh, starting tomorrow. Um, like we talked about earlier, the Rays kind of uh, slipping a little bit and they are going to uh, they fall in the second place the Red Sox have taken over first place in that division so definitely a uh, an, a potentially entertaining series and a potentially uh, a potential for that series to kind of dictate what happens uh, at least heading into the all-star break in the AL East whether the Rays are able to keep pace and kind of uh, stay above water or whether the Red Sox are going to kind of push them down even further and uh, expand the lead that they have uh, that they've taken uh, just in the last couple of days. Chris, is there anything else that you uh, that you're keeping your eye on this week? Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh, week in the AL East because as soon as the uh, as soon as that series that you just mentioned ends, the uh, Red Sox are going to be hosting the Yankees over the weekend. Uh, so a Yankees team that's gotten themselves back above you know five games above 500, mm-hmm. and they want to get in the mix there as in the top of the AL East as well. So. I think by the end of this week, we may have, I mean, I'm not going to be able to jump to any big conclusions, but have a bigger, under, better understanding of where, how the hierarchy really is amongst the top teams in that division. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So that is all the time we have. Um, thank you, everybody, to, thank you to everybody who has been uh, listening so far. Um, this is episode four, and we're going to keep doing it. Um, for, for as long as this season goes, we might do a couple in the off season, but we're right in the middle uh, kind of of the, uh, of the season here, right before the, the push to the all-star break. And uh, next week, you know, we'll start talking more all-star game, more home run derby um, and more. Uh, we'll start talking some, some trade rumors. Uh, yeah. Obviously the Eduardo Escobar thing just, just kind of broke today and we don't really know what's going to happen with that, but that's kind of the first major rumor that I've seen um, in general, but we'll definitely get talking about the trade deadline, our teams and each of their, their needs and uh, all that kind of stuff. So Chris, any final thoughts? I don't think so. It's going to be uh, we're in the final push now toward the all-star break. It's going to be going to be fun. No doubt. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you to everybody for listening and we will talk to you next week. Have a good night.